Good morning. morning. (laughs) I'm so glad that you're here. I'm looking at my announcements here, and there's a couple of really cool things. I don't know if you noticed, but the Harvest Crusade's coming up, and and we're going to start bringing out the promotional materials. There's a prayer card, probably the most important thing. I think they're going to be out Sunday. Uh, Out here below the window, you'll see these prayer cards, and really it helps to get you motivated to pray for those that you know that don't know Christ. That's really what the Harvest Crusade is about. It's not about a concert. It's not about the church getting up together and swinging and clapping. It's about bringing one by one someone to hear the gospel, to see the Lord work, and watch lives change. So here's an opportunity to grab a free sticker. They're back there. Just grab one. Stick it on your car. I love the way at Harvest, all the people, they cut the words out and they put... You know, each letter on their window in a different place. Have you ever seen that? They're, it's like, how do they do that? Well, they do it individually. You can do that or you can stick that on your bumper and uh, do that. That's a good thing. We're going we're gonna to support Harvest uh, from our church as well, and you can be a part of that. Uh, children's ministry walkabouts are ca- uh, coming up in June, the end of June. Uh, Pastor John will be back from vacation this Sunday, and then he's got these planned uh, to just walk around, take a hike, uh, day trips for the kids. So you can be a part of that as well. Family fun night and baptism is coming up. You should grab one of these. And uh, just to remind yourself, uh, you can invite someone. You can bring someone, bring a guest. It's absolutely free. The church is paying for it all. We have the place to ourselves. Although we've invited Calvary Chapel Summit Valley. It's a Calvary Chapel right over near that place and uh, Pastor Daniel's friend of ours actually came to this church. I counseled him years ago not to receive the Lord. He had, he'd been a Christian, but he was a jerk as a, dad, as a husband. And they came in for marriage. He'll tell you the story. They came in for marriage counseling, and I totally jumped all over his case because he was being an idiot as a husband. And uh, I, I, God used his word and my flesh to encourage him. And he's pastoring a church now. He's been a pastor over there for about... I think he's been there eight years at Calvary Summit Valley. Neat, neat brother, neat fellowship. They're going to join us because that you could put 1,000 people in this place, and we take 200. So bring some friends, bring some family, bring your neighbors. And we're going to do a baptism, but it's just a family fun night. All the information's on the flyer. Uh, vacation Bible School sign-ups, and uh, tonight, what is it? Root beer floats tonight. So that's good. That's good. We always get that. Ooh, ah. All right, well... We're here to study the Word, so we're in this section in Exodus chapter 20. So open your Bibles to Exodus chapter 20. We're looking at each one of the Decalogue, the Ten Commandments, the laws of God given to His people to form a new nation with a new set of order and laws. Did you know that God is a God of order? He's a God of order. Um, It's really important for the church to be a church of order. It's important for a home to be in order. God set Husband, wife, and who's under them? Children. Because God is a God of order. In the church, there's pastors, there's assistant pastors, there's evangelists and all the different giftings, but God has, he's a God of order. That's why we have ushers and we have security and we, we're doing the best we can to be a church that has order in it. There are churches that are chaotic and that's not the way it's supposed to be. So um, God is a God of order. He orders his people using these Ten Commandments. So primarily, 
applied, these Ten Commandments, were for the people that were at the base of Mount Sinai as we're going through the book of Genesis and now in the book of Exodus. They've just left 400 years of bondage. They've traveled through the wilderness. They're at the foot of Mount Sinai, and God is now up on the mountain. There's lightning and thunder and smoke like a volcano going off, and Moses is getting all these laws from God, and he brings these laws down to his people. So we're looking at those laws right now, and so God is communicating really through Moses, but, but personally through all the, the, the lightning and the, the flashing, and, and the people are at the bottom of the mountain. They are freaking out. They are totally afraid of what's going on, but God is giving these laws. Now, the laws were given not to save. The laws were given to show people that they're sinners. That's all the law ever does. The law is not grace. And so it's important as we go through these for you to understand that the laws help us understand that we need something outside of ourselves. We try to keep the law, but we can't. You break one law, how many have you broken? If you break one of the Ten Commandments, how many have you broken? All of them. That's what the Bible says. So we are lawbreakers because we have the Adamic nature. We were born in sin. We, we are rebellious. And you're going to see how rebellious you are. This law... Number six applies to every one of us, even though when you look at it, you'll say, that's not me. How dare you, Pastor Lee, say I'm that? Well, we'll see what Jesus has to say about this law as we get through this law tonight. Again, most of us see the Ten Commandments as negative. Like, think about, thou shalt not lie or thou shalt not steal. And you look at the law and you go, wow, that's, that's really negative, Pastor Lee. But when you think about that, the main reason we must not lie or steal is because God says so. It's not because we want not to do those things, but God knows that we're inherently going to do that because we have the Adamic nature. So he tells us not to do it, and we are supposed to obey the laws of God. Our problem is we can't keep the law. That's why every one of you here tonight has these. How many of you have these? Why do, you ha- why do you lock your car or your house? Why? Because all the people around you are going to steal from you, right? They're going to take your car. That's why you have these. That's what keys are for, to keep somebody out of your car. So it's, it's your car. It's your personal property. Well, we have those because the heart of man is wicked, and the heart of man will steal and lie and do all these things. We lock our front door in our car. That's why we sign a 40-page contract when you buy a car or you buy a house, right? I don't know if you read it all, but we sign that contract because the bank doesn't trust you. Did you know that? The bank doesn't trust you. If they trusted you, you'd walk into the Subaru lot to buy your car, the Nissan lot to buy your brand new car, and, and the guy say, sure, I'd love to sell this car to you. How much you have down? Five bucks? Great, I'll take the five, and I know you'll make payments every month Just and leave. Here's the keys. Why don't they do that? Because they don't trust you. Because man, at his core, is rebellious and sinful. We need the law, right? We, we need these laws, and our society needs these laws. Uh, sadly, in our society, we've, we've thrown the Bible out of the public square. We've thrown it out of school, so we're not teaching kids that. They're, all they are are monkeys from billions of years ago, so they act like monkeys, right? That's what they're taught. They're taught they're, they're, they've evolved from monkeys, although when you think about monkeys, I, I always think about monkeys, you know. If, if we evolve from monkeys, how come there's still monkeys? I mean, think about it. 
What, what's up with that? It just doesn't make sense. So God has made man in his image, as we're going to find out, but man has been marred by sin. And we need laws, we need order. That's what really this is all about, the Ten Commandments. So with your Bible open there to Exodus chapter 20, we'll read the very short phrase that we're going to be studying tonight. Let's ask God's blessing as we open his word. Father, we have your word before us. I've made a few opening comments, Lord, but I I truly believe that uh, this law applies to each and every one of us here tonight. I, I ask that you would open our hearts and minds to hear your word, the truth of your word. And Lord, may we gain more than just knowledge tonight. May we, as your people, gain maturity and application of this law in our lives, personally tonight. None of us are excluded, Lord. Help us to learn from your word. Help us to grow and mature. And we'll give you thanks and praise in Jesus. Amen. Tonight, we look at verse 13, the sixth commandment. I've entitled this message a message on murder, because that's really what it is. I could have called it all kinds of different things. But murder is what we're going to discuss tonight. My first point being... Define, define murder. That's what I'm going to do. Murder defined. Notice verse 13. Here it is. You shall not murder. Some of your Bibles, if you're reading a King James Bible, it says thou shalt not kill. The word kill in your Bible. It's not the same word as murder. The English word kill has a little different connotation. In, in our, uh, the Hebrew word is ra Shcha, shcha, it's a really interesting Hebrew word, rachra. And that word means murder or manslayer. That's what we're talking about. We're not talking about animals here. We're talking about killing another human being. A manslayer, that's what murder is all about. We're not talking about killing animals for food. This commandment is not about accidental killing. Capital punishment is not murder. God in his word says that there are certain offenses that man will willfully do, like murder someone else. And if they do that, then their life is to be taken, stopped right then, because they're a murderer. I'll give you some examples of that. But all the way back in Genesis chapter 9, let me show you a couple of verses here. Here's what this, this law goes way, 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 way back, way before Moses. Genesis 9, 6, Whoever sheds man's blood by man, his blood shall be shed. For in the image of God, he made man. God alone possesses the sovereign power to give life and to take life. We do not have that authority. No man has that. And, and if you take that authority, you've just crossed God. God is the only one that has that authority. And whether you like it or not, the Bible authorizes capital punishment in cases where someone murders or takes innocent life. Killings that take place in war, in a just war, are okay in the Bible. I'm going to show you that. We'll, We'll see that throughout the history of the world. Nations have had to defend themselves from an aggressor from a despot, from a, a ruler of a nation that is just cruel and, rule, and, and rules with an iron fist and kills their neighbors. And so 
in those cases, a just war, God allows the killing of another human, and it's not murder. You're not taking an innocent life. It's important to make a distinction as we move into our study tonight. I just really want you to understand that. Those who engage in brutality or atrocities, uh, Stalin, Hitler, Mao, Satan, millions. These people killed millions of their own people, killed them. These are atrocities. These are murderers. They didn't just kill people. They were murderers. Uh, if, if you know history, I mean, I wasn't alive when the Nuremberg trials took place, but I've read the history. Some of you are probably alive during that time. And the people, those Nazi generals that carelessly killed millions, even hundreds of thousands each, Jews and abused those people, they all ended up, you know, rightly so, that capital punishment, because they took innocent life, they were murderers, and through the Bible, we'll see those kinds of things, The killings that are self-defense are not classified as murder. When a police officer kills someone in the line of duty because their life is threatened, that is not murder. It's not murder. Now, you're hearing a lot of things on the news about that, aren't you? But as far as the Bible's concerned, that is not murder. When you're at home at night and you're sleeping and somebody kicks your door in and you are wise enough to have a gun close to your bedside, wise enough, I say, and that guy comes in your house and you shoot them, that's not murder. You're not taking an innocent life. They've intruded in your home, and you have every right for self-defense. Self-defense is not murder. I'm trying to help you understand that there's a difference between self-defense, just war, those kinds of things, and the, and the Bible makes that clear again. All murder is, um, uh, all murder is killing, but not all killing is murder. Murder is more than just taking a life. It's premeditated. Murder or taking another life is intentional. That's why we have a court system. And when you take someone's life, you go before a court of your peers and a judge and the, the rule, you have to be proven beyond a shadow of that that you premeditated and killed this person in order to suffer capital punishment. So there's a difference between killing, self-defense, police officers, just war, than there is in premeditated, Murder, and we hear about those daily. Don't you hear about murder? It's, it's horrible. Murder is an awful, awful thing. Uh, again, I'm assuming tonight that none of you have ever committed murder, although I know I've gone to church with one man that admitted to me years ago that he had committed a murder. And uh, I believe that murder is pardonable. Murder is a pardonable sin by God. God's grace is greater than murder, as, as I'm going to prove uh, in a moment. But this co sixth commandment prohibits murder, taking innocent life. It also condemns the attitude or action which leads to murder, as we'll see Again, uh, I'm kind of setting a foundation so we can jump into a lot of scripture here. Um, 
We're to avoid evil at all costs. We're to avoid the evil nature that's in us, the corrupt flesh that we have, and self-control over an attitude of, I hate you, I want to kill you. We're to control that. We have the Holy Spirit to help us and to guide us. But this is where it gets real personal. Again, I'll apply that as we move through the study. The sixth commandment, it's really about the sanctity of human life, the sacredness of humanity, because we're created specifically by God. Now, I want to show you some verses in Genesis, so follow with me as I make points on the screen and then I point these out. You can look at scriptures in your Bible if you'd like to, but my first point here is life and death belong to God alone. They belong to God alone. First, we have to understand that God created man in his image and his likeness, and he set him apart from all of the creation, all the living creatures he made. And I'm going to show you that here. It's in Genesis 2, verse 7. You've heard this verse. I taught on this verse a few years ago. But And the Lord God formed man of the dust of the ground. And here's the difference between man and animals. God breathed into his nostrils, man's nostrils, the breath of life, which, by the way, is our ministry for sanctity of life and and our anti-abortion ministry here in this church, the breath of life. Because man has this breath that came from God. So man is different than the animals. God formed the animals. He made creation. He created the animals. But man's different because God created man, and then God gave him, he breathed the spirit of life in man. That's what makes us different, humans, than animals. Breathing life into man is distinctly different in the way God gave life to man versus all other living creatures. And I believe he did that to show us that man is a reflection of God. Man and the sanctity of life. Very important for us to understand that because it really shapes your view and helps you understand the sanctity of human life. We've lost that in our society because we aren't teaching that. We've thrown the Bible out of our court system, in a sense, and in our society, in a sense. But we need to bring that back, the truth that, that God is the creator of, of life, and he gives life to man. So man should never take life from any other, which includes himself, suicide. It includes that. Suicide is against the law of God. Here's, here's what Job says. You've heard this before, but notice on the screen behind me. The Lord gave and the Lord has taken away. Blessed be the name of the Lord. Job said, life comes from God and life is taken by God. And we just bless his name. It's all about God. I love it when, even tonight, I'll say, hey, I'll see you tomorrow. And, and one of the men from the prayer will say, God willing. Isn't that true? It's true, God willing. I'll have breath, God willing. I'll be there. God willing, God knows and has numbered my days, just like he's numbered your days. He knows when you're going to cease to exist on this planet. And God is the one that gives life. God is the one that takes life away. God himself is in control. He is the one who controls the entrance of man's life, and he's the one that controls the exit of man's life. Job 14, 5, notice this verse again behind on the screen. Since his days are determined or numbered, the number of his months is with you. You have appointed his limits so that he cannot pass. The scripture teaches that God is in control of our days. Again, with that said, man can do nothing 
to shorten his days. You, you know, you can go to the Grand Canyon, and if you're not afraid of heights, look over the, you ever done that? I run off a cliff with a kite on my, my back, so it bo- doesn't bother me to look over a cliff, but some people, are there. they look over the cliff and they just start, <gasps> you know, which is, that's a good fear, by the way. That's a really good fear to have. But God knows and numbers your days. You can do a lot of things to try to kill yourself, but God knows and numbers your days. You'll end up paralyzed, or you'll end, a lot of people do. They, they do things to try to end their life, and they end up paralyzed for the rest of their lives. God numbers our days. He's sovereign. He knows everything. Proverbs 10.27, here it is behind me. The fear of the Lord prolongs days, but the years of the wicked will be shortened. For those of us that love God and fear God and obey his laws, God will bless the days that we have. But the wicked, their days will be shortened. Also, the scripture says that obedience, again, to the Lord will lengthen our days. It's in Exodus verse 12 or chapter 20, verse 12, that we looked at that last week. Look, look again, just go back to verse 12. Honor your father and your mother that your days may be long upon the land which the Lord is, is giving you. Again, there's blessing for those that obey God's law and God's ways. God gives you longer days and fruitful days and blessed days as a Christian. Those come as a result of commitment to Christ and, and living according to his ways and his laws. But all of these things are subject to God and his sovereignty God is the giver of human life. God numbers our days. He takes human life. He gives human life. When we take it upon ourselves to take someone else's life, we have dangerously positioned ourselves between us and God. And when you do that, God will judge. God always does. God steps in and he judges. Life and death belong to God alone. Murder intrudes into God's business. I I like thinking of it that way. Self-defense, just war, capital punishment are God's ways, and there are ways for preservation. But murdering someone premeditatedly, you're stepping into God's realm now, and you're going to be judged for that. That's what murder is. Now, let me show you murder in the Old Testament real quick. First murder in human history happens surprisingly fast when you read the book of Genesis. Right at the very beginning of the book, the opening section of the book, the first murder happens. Before Moses, before Mount Sinai, before you know all of these other things that we've been reading about, the first commandment is broken by the first children of Adam and Eve, Cain and Abel. Cain kills his brother Abel. Again, Scripture records that the Lord said to Cain, He comes to Cain, and God gives him an opportunity to repent. God says, Cain, where's your brother? Remember? And what did Cain say? I don't know where he is. I'm not not his keeper. Remember? Defiantly, indignantly, with a hate-filled heart. There was no repentance at all. And so God will judge Cain, but he won't kill Cain because there's no capital punishment at this time. Capital punishment comes 
later, after Noah. After Noah. There's no capital punishment until after Noah. How did God judge the world in their sinful condition? By killing them all. They all die. How many people lived? Who, how many people got on the boat? It was Noah, his wife, and, and his daughters and their, their husbands. Seven or eight. It was eight. That's it. The rest of the world was corrupt. Very interesting when you think of it in those terms. Cain kills his brother. I don't know. Am I my brother's keeper, he says to God. And God says, what have you done? The voice of your brother's blood cries from the the dirt, the ground. And remember, his punishment was, you can't go back to the ground for food. Remember, he made him a sojourner. He didn't kill him. God didn't kill him. He didn't judge him in that way because there wasn't corporal punishment then. But he said, cursed be the ground, remember? And now you're going to be a wanderer. And remember, Cain said, what am I going to do? Everybody's going to try to kill me. Remember, he freaked out. So God put a label on his forehead. Anybody that touches you, they'll die. But you're going to be a wanderer, a sojourner. That was his punishment. It was horrible to him. He couldn't stay with anybody. He became a, a wanderer, kind of picking berries, whatever he could find growing. He couldn't grow anything. And he came from a family that was agrarian. You know, that was the thing. And he was a hunter. But now he can't do any of that. He's got to go out, you know, for food. So his punishment was interesting. He wasn't, wasn't punished with death, but he was punished because of his willful, deliberate act and rebellion against God. The antediluvian people, this is the point, capital punishment for, for Adam and all his family members, uh, God did not bring in capital punishment for those people. It came later. Cain was just given that nomadic lifestyle. And it wasn't long. As you remember, as we studied through the book, you know, this is a trivia question, but how many remember the man that was from Cain and his family that was an evil, 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 nasty man? Do you remember? His name started with an L. How many remember his name? Anybody? Lemek. Remember? Remember Lemek? Nasty man. Nasty. You can read about him in Genesis 9. Um, and, and it was capital punishment came after the flood. Um, it was in, uh, again, God instituted that for the sin of murder. If you took someone's life, then your life was going to be taken because you, took, you disregarded God's law, his ways, you willfully acted in disobedience to God, and you killed another person. So the flood became God's, uh, really the beginning point of this capital punishment for the world in that sense. First, God judges the world and kills everybody because they were evil, nasty. Do you remember how bad they were? Here's the verse. It's in Genesis 6 behind me on the screen. The earth also was corrupt before God, and the earth was filled with, look at the word, The hearts of the people were so violent. They were killing each other. They were so violent that God wiped them out. He judged them because of their violence. Manslayers. The world was filled with them. God preserved Noah and his wife as he faithfully, you know, built the boat, the ark, And then he and his family were the only ones preserved. Everyone else died as a result and a judgment 
against them. And then chapter 9, God prescribes this death penalty for those who took the life of another human being. So let's go back there. I want to show you. Go back to Genesis chapter 9. I'm just going to read a few verses, but it's just a few pages back there. Genesis chapter 9, verse 1. I want to show you here that God gives man dominance over the animal kingdom and that, that this is my justification for hunting here, ladies. Pastor Lee's so mean. Let me just show you. I, I have a biblical reason here. Here it is. So God blessed Noah, verse 1 of chapter 9, and his sons. And he said to them, be fruitful, multiply, and fill the earth. And the fear of you as man is going to scare every beast of the earth and every bird of the air. All that move on the earth. See, before the flood, animals and man got along. And man didn't really eat meat. Man ate what? Blueberries, kale, kind of what I'm eating right now in this diet. Crunchy vegetables, broccoli, cauliflower. What's for dinner, honey? Cauliflower, broccoli. What's for lunch, honey? Oh, some more cauliflower. But this time it's braised. Oh, that's wonderful. It's really, really healthy. It's good for you. But, but after the flood, God put a fear in the animals. And they, they see man or smell man. It's like, ah, and they run. Fight or flight. That's animals do that. Here's, here's the precedent here. The fear of you, the dread of you, and every beast, every, everything that moves on the earth, all the fish of the sea, they're given into your hands. So God gave man dominion over animals. In other words, you could go and hunt them. You could eat animals. God's giving uh, the, the, the right to kill, not murder. You're killing an animal for food. Notice what he says. Every moving thing that lives shall be what? What? So, but Pastor Lee, I don't kill. I just eat the hamburger. I, I just eat chicken. How many had chicken tonight? Are there any vegans in here? You might be a vegan. Okay, well, that's good. That's not bad. But it's not wrong to kill an animal to eat. And I have people come to me, and they say, Pastor Lee, you know, you're a Christian. You shouldn't kill. Thou shalt not kill. Well, that's not what this verse means. In fact, I've been given the right to kill for food. I can kill an animal for food. In fact, you guys ate hamburger. If you had chicken the night but you don't hunt, you're just an assassin. You hired an assassin to kill your food and a butcher to do it, and then you eat it, and then you look at me and say you shouldn't do that. Well, you already did it, so you're just like me. Surely, he says there, or verse 4, but you shall not eat flesh with its life blood. You're never to eat an animal with its blood. You're to cook it, rather, to drain the blood and eat it all through the Bible. And if you're coming on Sunday night, you're hearing about all the Levitical laws. The blood was the life of man. The blood was in the animal, and it was sacrificed. The blood was the life, represented life. You weren't to eat it. The fat was, to get, was burnt and given to God. Those, those were portions were to be given specifically to the Lord. And uh, here, precedent set in the very beginning of the Bible, Genesis chapter 9, verse 5. Surely for your lifeblood I will demand a reckoning from the hand of every beast. I will require it and from the hand of man. From the hand of every man's brother I will require life of man. Whoever sheds man's blood by man his blood shall be shed. For in the image of God he made man. So here's the law. Eating food is not killing. It's not murder. Murder is taking the innocent life of a human being. So, so be careful 
When you tell someone they shouldn't kill, go hunting ducks or whatever, that's just, that's not biblical to say that. It's okay to hunt or fish. Well, I don't hunt or shoot with a gun. I just fish. And yeah, the fish, you put them on a leash, you know, and they die slowly right there next to your boat. I mean, think about it. I have people say that to me and it's like, wait a minute, wait a minute. They're food. You take it home and eat it. So be careful when you judge others. From the beginning, Genesis chapter 4, Genesis chapter 9, murder is taking the innocent life of a human, and it's forbidden by God. Now, there's two types of murder, and there are penalties in the Old Testament, two main types. Let me just illustrate or show you them. Number one, premeditated murder. And for that, we look at Exodus 21. So go back to chapter 21 of Exodus. Let me show you this. I want you to read it with me. Exodus 21, we'll get there in a few weeks. We'll be in this section. But Exodus chapter 21, verse 12. He who strikes a man so that he dies shall surely be put to death. Verse 13. However, if he did not lie in wait, but God delivered him into his hand, then I will appoint for you a place where he may flee. And the Bible has, it's really wonderful, we'll see this later, but the, the, uh, the cities that were specifically cities of refuge, if you accidentally killed somebody, they were, you were working side by side, and, and you're, um, you know, they were digging a ditch, and they fell into the ditch, and it wasn't your fault. They just tripped and fell, and, broke their, and they broke their neck and died. And their family came and said, what happened to my brother? He died in your ditch. I'm going to kill you. You could run to a ref, city of refuge in the Bible and find safety there, and they couldn't come and get you and take your life, because most of these people would do that. It's like the hillbillies or the McCoys, and, you know, the, they would come and that if you killed my relative, I'm going to kill you. And so God put a provision in here so that you couldn't do that. He, didn't want, he doesn't want anarchy. But if you deliberately kill someone, then your life is to be taken. But here in Exodus 21, premeditated murder is what we're talking about. If a man acts with premeditation, verse 14, against his neighbor to kill him by treachery, you shall take him from my altar that he may die. Capital punishment. In the Bible, premeditated murder is punishable by death. While murder that wasn't premeditated, we call it second degree. That's what we label it here in America. Murder by second degree. In other words, you're driving on the freeway, your tire blows out, your car spins out, hits somebody, and kills the baby in the back seat. And you, you killed them because your car spun out and you couldn't keep, and it killed somebody. That wasn't premeditated, right? It's second-degree murder, and you're not going to go to jail for that. You shouldn't go to jail for that. So we have laws in our country that really follow biblical precedent, uh, again, for the protection and preservation of life, but for those that premeditate murder, their lives be taken. Then verse 14 there in Exodus 21, um, you shall take him from my altar that he may die. So, number one, premeditated murder. Number two, negligent homicide. Uh, this, again, can be very serious, like premeditated murder. If somebody knows that, that there's danger, if you have a machine that has open gears and you hire intentionally long-haired men to work over this machine with open gears, you hear what I'm saying? You know, you get the picture. 
but you don't provide any protection for them. I mean, come on. There's no safety for that person? You're ask, actually putting that person in jeopardy. Listen to what, again, the Scripture says in Exodus 21, verse 28. Look at 20, verse 28. If an ox gores a man or a woman to death, then the ox shall surely be stoned, and its flesh shall not be eaten. But the owner of the ox will be acquitted. It's not his fault because the ox did it. But notice verse 29. If the ox tended to thrust with its horn in times past. In other words, if this ox or animal has this history of goring people, goring people, he kills people whenever they're around. The dog bites, the dog bites. He never, there's no control. He just keeps biting, 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 biting. And you know it. And you invite your little nephew, two-year-old nephew to play with a dog. Do you see where we're going with this? He says, and he has not kept it confined. So that killed a man or a woman, the ox shall be killed or stoned, and the owner shall also be put to death. Why? Because the owner allowed his animal to kill another person. He knew it was going to happen, and he let it happen anyway. Do you see how rational God's laws are? They're, they're really beautiful. They're rational. The owner, who knows his animal is a man killer and allows it to be used in a petting zoo, is liable. That's really what he's saying there. Again, Human life is sacred, and anyone who breaks God's law to violate human law or, or human life and, and, and murder willfully, or in this case, you have an animal that kills and you let your kids play around it or somebody get killed by your animal because it's your animal, then you're liable for that in this case. Now, let me add a couple more to this because in our culture today, these are the things that we deal with. Number three here, physician-assisted murder. Sometimes it's called euthanasia. Sometimes it's called doctor-assisted suicide or mercy killing. Remember Dr. Kevorkian. Remember him? Evil man. Awful man. He, he actually built a machine, remember? He built a machine, and he would take the person that was diagnosed, for instance, this woman that was diagnosed with Alzheimer's disease, which is a horrible, horrible disease. And she said, I don't want to live any longer. She was cognizant. She was uh, able-bodied in mind and soul. She laid down on the machine, and Dr. Gavorkin arranged the machine. He put the IV in her arm. He made everything work and gave her a little button. She had a button. Kevorkian, many people died with his button. He made the machine. And so she would sit there. He would arrange it, fix it, make it all nice, and, and she would push the button, and immediately all the poison would go into her body, and she would die, or he. And, and Kevorkian killed, I don't know how many people. I can't remember how many people. It wasn't hundreds, but it was a lot of people. He did it year after year after year, despite the law. He just kept, he was a scofflaw. He didn't care about the law. He was an evil man. He was assisting people to kill themselves. Intervening in a way, stepping in between God and that person. He was, he was a man that deserved everything. He only got, what would he get? Seven years and he got out of prison and then he died a few years later. So he was an evil man. And doctor-assisted suicide, again, right now in California, Washington, Oregon, Hawaii, D.C., and Vermont, it's, it's legal it wasn't in California until 
we passed that law, what was it, two years ago? We passed a law in California, physician-assisted suicide. So you can go to your doctor and say, I'm going to get Alzheimer's, I don't want to live anymore, and he can help you die. Again, it's a violation of God's law to even think that way, and for us as a culture to vote that way is you're, you're voting against God. We, that's why it's important for Christians to vote. But we do have doctor-assisted suicide that's legal in America today. So number four, prenatal natal murder or abortion. Again, the Bible says that life begins at conception. Science proves it. DNA, the color of eye, skin, height, everything is encoded. And when those two, the sperm and the egg, come together at conception, there's human life immediately. It's not when the heart beats, because they have everything at that moment. That dionuclear acid, I can't even say the word, DNA. You, you doctors know all that. All the, that, that shapes that individual is there. It's all there. It doesn't form in months. It's not after the heart begins to beat. It's not after the, there's a nose that you can see on an x-ray. It's, it's horrendous in California that you can take and cut the spine of a living baby in the, inside the womb of a, of a mother up until the time of the birth. In California, that's legal. It's awful. It's ugly. And it, you, we should see it that way as Christians. For, for a doctor, for a health professional to do that, it's, it's unbelievable and it's against God. And you can't do that and not suffer consequence. Prenatal murder. Jeremiah 1.5, notice this verse behind me on the screen. Before I formed you in the womb, I knew you. That's, that's before, you know, conception. God has the power alone for life and death. He's sovereign. And the scriptures, I, I could have shown you a bunch of those. There's, there's Psalm 139. There's other verses I could have shown you. But God is the one that originates life. Remember when, it's one of my favorite stories in the Bible. Uh, six months before Mary gets pregnant, her cousin gets pregnant. Her name is Elizabeth. And Elizabeth is pregnant with John, the forerunner of Jesus. Then Mary gets pregnant, and she goes to her cousin and meets her cousin. And when she comes to Elizabeth, what happened? You remember what happened? The baby did what? Why? Because it's alive. That baby was alive. God was working and uniquely forming and shaping that baby in the womb. In our society, we're told about women's rights, and we're told lies, 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 that the baby is not viable, that the baby is not alive until it takes its first breath. And, and they're going to move into euthanasia, which is, you know, after you see the baby and you see that it's not normal or what you value is normal, then, then up to six months. This is, what, this is where we're going. Then you can kill the baby. It's been born, but you can kill. That's how much we have devalued life in this culture. Christians, we need to be very careful. We need to be very careful, and we need to stand up for the unborn. That's why this church stands along with the San Bernardino Counseling Center uh, down there on Hospitality Lane, right adjacent to Planned Parenthood that does abortions every day. They're right there sidewalk counseling. They're right there ready to give help to any woman that has a child. 
And you can bring and donate the little bottles of money. You can bring and donate um, uh, chairs and all kinds of baby helps for these mothers that choose life for their baby. You can be a part of that. You can be an assistant in that way by um, donating things right to that uh, counseling center. Now, so abortion, there's no doubt about it. It's murder. It ends a human life, something God alone has the right to do. So with that said, I know there always is this case that there may be a woman in this room or someone listening today is so offended because in their past, before Christ, they made this decision, and they're suffering, and right now you're, you're, you're suffering. All, all I can tell you is God is a God of forgiveness. God is a God of grace. Murder is forgivable. It's forgivable. There's no unforgivable sin, Christian. You, you've asked the Lord to forgive you probably every day of your life since that point in time you became a Christian, and you're forgiven. You're forgiven. You're forgiven not because I say it. You're forgiven because the Word of God says so. Murder is forgivable. You need to understand that. Grace is greater. Grace is always greater than man's sin. So keep that in mind. Again, I say that because some of the greatest men in the Old Testament were murderers. David. Remember? David. He murdered the husband of Bathsheba, Uriah. Killed him. Had him killed. Withdraw the troops. Get him to the front line. Everybody get away so he can get 50 spears and arrows. And what happened to him? That's exactly what happened. He died. David. And there are many other examples in the Bible. Moses. The writer that's giving us the Ten Commandments. Remember, he killed the Egyptian. Remember? And God is giving him these laws now. But David, if, you, if you've dealt with any kind of issue like that, maybe... Maybe you've gone through an abortion. Maybe in your past there was a situation. Maybe as a man you encouraged or paid for and you feel guilty. I, I love what David, the murderer, says in Psalm 51. Here it is behind me on the screen. After he was found out by Nathan the prophet, David breaks down before the Lord. He, says, he goes to the Lord and he says these words. Notice, wash me thoroughly from my iniquity. Cleanse me from my sin. For I acknowledge my sin, my transgressions, and my sin is always before me. Against you, you only have I sinned and done this evil in your sight. This is a prayer of repentance. How does one bring the most horrendous sin to God? This is how you do it. Psalm 51. Someone comes to you and says, you know, I, I want to go to church, but I feel so guilty I've done this. Psalm 51. Pastor Lee, I, I, just, I just can't forgive myself. Psalm 51. This is, the, this is the psalm. You need to read it. You need to read it every day. If you feel guilty, you need to understand that God forgives. He forgave David. He can forgive you as well. Now, let me show you murder in the New Testament. We looked at murder in the Old Testament. Let's look at it real quickly in the New Testament. And for that, um, I just want to remind you of what Jesus says in, on the Sermon on the Mount. It's Matthew chapter 5. I'll put it up on the screen. You can look it up in your Bible if you'd like. Matthew 5, verse 21. Jesus says, You have heard that it was said of those of old, You shall not murder. So he's quoting Exodus 20. This is Jesus' commentary now on 
the tenth, this sixth commandment. Here it is, right? This is what Jesus says when it comes to this commandment. You've said, um, uh, let's see, you shall not murder. Whoever murders will be in danger of judgment. But I say, here's Jesus' response to the sixth commandment, to you, that whoever is angry with his brother without cause shall be in danger of judgment. And then he goes even further. Here's where it applies to every person in this room right now. Whoever says to his brother, Raka, shall be in danger of the council. Whoever says, you fool, shall be in danger of hellfire. Again, Jesus now has taken the act of murder and he's applied it now to the attitude of the heart. It's not an action. Well, I'm not a murderer. I've been have. I've been good. I haven't killed anybody. Now, wait a minute, wait a minute. You may not have committed the act of murder. Don't raise your hand. How many have had hatred for someone in their heart? Man, I wanted a root beer float tonight. You just ruined my dessert. It's, It's the truth. In... Paul says, in my flesh, all sin dwells. The things I want to do, I don't do. I I can't control myself. I'm a sinner to the core. And every one of us have gone through this. We've all all hated someone in our heart. Interestingly here, murder starts in the heart. It starts with an attitude, anger, bitterness. It's, It's harbored. It's... It's you seethe and, and you see that person across the room. You, you hate them and you smell them and you see them and you, their actions, everything about them, you, oh, it just drives you crazy. They offended you and it builds and it seethes and it bothers and it, the attitude starts in the heart. And then you start to view that person as worthless. They're worthless. Be away from you. I don't want you in my life. I don't want to see you. I hate you. That's an attitude. It's in our hearts. We need to be very, very careful, Christian. That's what Jesus is talking about. He's taken the act of murder, and now he's applied it broadly in the New Testament to you and I as believers to an attitude of our heart that will, if uncontrolled, manifest itself in an action more than words. Pretty soon it's words. First it's seething and hatred and groaning. And then it's words. It's words. Then you, you talk bad about that person and you put them down. And, and then, then you say things and gesture things and you hate that person. And it's gonna, if, if left unchecked, it's going to manifest itself. People kill people every day in the world, in our nation. Thousands, as a matter of fact. The term raka here in Matthew 5 and fool, again, they just reveal an attitude of destruction and hate and those who have taken the life of another. Those that even have hatred for some, well, they're just worthless and they're not as good as I am. And they justify killing someone. You'll hear it in a court. They justify it because that person was really bad and I, I, I saved society, I saved people around me because that person was so evil I had to kill him. You'll hear people say those kinds of things. They were worthless. 
But Jesus here is saying that it is possible to murder another human being and not even shed an ounce of blood. Do, do you see that here? You don't have to shed or do the act of murder in order to kill someone and be in violation of the sixth commandment. That's what Jesus is saying here. Again, let's put that scripture back up. Let's read that one again, Matthew 5, 21. I want to show you that. Jesus says, you've heard that it was said of those of old, you shall not murder, and whoever murders will be in danger of death. But I say to you, whoever is angry with his brother without cause shall be in danger of judgment. Whoever says to his brother, Raka, you fool, will be in danger of the council. Wow. Again, it's the Lord's words here. It's possible to murder another human being and not even shed an ounce of blood. Because murder happens in the heart. Murder happens in the mind. And in the Lord's eyes, the murderer, whether it's heart, mind, or physically, you're guilty. You're guilty of murder. Now, James goes, it's really interesting. He adds one more ingredient. Let me show you this verse, James 4. Where do wars and fightings come from among you? The question, do they not come from your desires for pleasure that war in your members. You lust and you can't have it. You murder and covet because you can't have it. You want it so bad. You covet it so much that you kill to obtain it. You fight in war. You do not have because you do not ask. James, again, is saying that you lust for things. And when you can't get it, it, it brings conflict with other people. Covetousness. Jesus tells us, that behind the murder, the motivator of the murder in your heart and in mind is not necessarily you or me. You know what it is? It's, you know who it is? Satan. In John 8, we get his words. Jesus is speaking to the Pharisees, by the way, and he says this, you are your father, or you are of your father, the devil, and the desires of your father you want to do. He was a murderer from the beginning. Satan, it's Satan. Satan is the originator of all murder, deceit, and lies. So murder is a result of the fall of man and Satan's work in Eve and in Adam, and it manifested itself very quickly in their sons, Cain and Abel. Again, murder is in the heart of man. The Bible says in Romans 3, we've all sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. We, we have that. Now, here's the application again. In Matthew 5, if you go back to Matthew 5, you can put, you don't have to put the scripture up, but you can look, at, look it up yourself. Matthew 5, 20. For I say to you that unless your righteousness exceeds the righteousness of the scribes and Pharisees, you will by no means enter the kingdom of God or heaven, Jesus said righteousness. We all need a Savior. The truth is we need a Savior. Again, this law, even this law tonight, that's so personal. I mean, if you're not affected by this like I was today, then you're not listening. You, you worked all day today and you're tired. <laughs> because if, you, if you've heard what Jesus says about murder and, and it emanates from a heart, you understand that, that in your heart you murder. You don't have to do the act. But we all need a Savior because 
Jesus saves. He saves those that call out to him. And again, Jesus says there in Matthew 5, you've heard it said, you shall not murder, but you've done it with the attitude of your heart. And I love this portion of Matthew because it really helps me to understand grace. Grace is greater than sin. Grace is much greater in the grace of the Lord. And, and every sin is forgivable. Murder is forgivable. Well, if, if your God forgives a murderer, then I don't want to be part of your God. I've heard people say that. But all I can say is I'm so glad that God forgives because great is my sin. And without grace and without Jesus and without his sacrifice dying for me, I would have salvation. I wouldn't be a, a new person in Christ. In Matthew 5, Jesus goes on to say, listen, before you come to the altar, before you go to church, make sure and reconcile with your brother. It's important. Otherwise, you're going to seethe and you're going to hate. He doesn't want that in your life. He doesn't want it in my life. You, he wants you to reconcile with your brother and then come and offer your gift of worship, offer your gift of service, offer your gift of tithing. After you've reconciled with your brother, Again, when I read this commandment, sixth commandment, number one, I, I'm so grateful for grace. I'm so grateful for grace. Oh, but for the grace of God, I'd be a condemned man because of murder. And the forgiveness that is offered so abundantly in Christ is amazing. Amen? Father, I thank you for the text tonight. And I know it was dramatic in its presentation. I just pray, Lord, that we would hear your word and your truth. And that we as your people would really understand the sanctity of human life. That we would preserve and fight for it. That we as believers would understand that deep down in our heart, that seething anger can fester, and it can become murder. And without shedding any blood, we can become the person we do not want to be, the murderer. So, Lord, forgive us and help us. And I thank you, Lord, for these Ten Commandments and their application in our lives today. We're so grateful, Lord, for all that you are and all that you give. Thank you for the truth of your word in it. As we're challenged by it, every time we read it, Lord, it's, it's so good. Thank you for, for bringing to light its truth, your truth, Lord. So, Father, we just commit ourselves to you, and we thank you for your truth, for the word tonight. In Jesus, we pray. Amen. Let's all stand together.